Hi there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your continued help, that you're helping us and you're teaching us by your Holy Spirit, and you're giving us revelation concerning our identity in Christ. We ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts to this message, Lord, as we learn about having a sound mind, as we grow in our soundness of mind. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm really excited to go into a time, and I'll probably spend a couple of weeks doing this, where I unpack the power of developing a sound mind. You see, we've been talking quite a bit about our identities being rehabilitated. So we've spoken about kingdom identity and different facets of kingdom identity. And I want to encourage you that if you want to have an identity that conforms with the identity of Christ, it's so important to develop a sound mind. If we look in scripture, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear. I'm reading from the King James. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, some translations say and of self-control. So I want to really unpack this word, this phrase, a sound mind. Okay, because what I've seen happening in the body of Christ is you've got a lot of so-called spiritual Christians. Okay, Uh, tongue talking, demon bashing, uh, water baptized, Holy Ghost filled Christians. Right. But unfortunately, they don't operate from a sound mind. And that's why our minds need to be renewed. If we want to walk in our true identity in Christ, we need a sound mind. And let me unpack that word, okay? It's the Greek word uh, sophroniso, which literally means a sound mind. It's sound reasoning. It's truly moderate, okay? Safe thinking, sober reasoning. It means being controlled mentally and being disciplined mentally. Okay, that's extremely powerful. And one of the reasons why a lot of times we feel anxious or quickly get depressed, all right, or react when people are speaking to us is because we're not operating from a sound mind. This is central to having your identity in Christ, you see. And um, let me unpack it this way. The reality is that we all have core beliefs core fundamental beliefs, okay? These are global, they're rigid, they're overgeneralized very often, okay? And then these core beliefs influence and they impact our immediate beliefs. Now, with your immediate beliefs, you've got easy access to them, okay? These are the rules you have for life. And many of us operate on different rules, okay? These are your attitudes, Okay, this is your mindset concerning something. These are your assumptions, basic assumptions we have about scenarios that we go through. Okay, so you've got your core beliefs, then you've got your immediate beliefs, which are rules, okay, and assumptions that govern how you make decisions, how you do what you do. And then you also have automatic thoughts, automatic thoughts, right? These are very specific to the situation. So uh, you can have automatic thoughts around failing. You fail at something. What's your immediate thought? Okay. So your core beliefs, your immediate beliefs and assumptions, right? Rules, right? And your automatic thoughts end up affecting how you live your life. And it's so important that we actually are immersed in kingdom thinking in all these areas. 
core beliefs, immediate beliefs and assumptions and rules, right? And our automatic thoughts. And that's what we're going to really be talking about today. Soundness of mind as we deal with these three major areas. In John 16 verse 13, the first part of verse 13 says, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. That's so powerful. Some translations say he'll guide you into all truth. So when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the manifestations of that is that the Holy Spirit guides you into all truth with regards to how you perceive situations. And I'm tired of this, where as believers, we are satisfied with a normal Christian life where we go to church where we pray our prayers, we read the Bible, but we still have stinking thinking, what we call stinking thinking. We still have unhealthy patterns of thinking. And I'm telling you, if you take heed, as I share with you today, this thing I'm sharing will free you, will free you up from unnecessary emotions, right? Negative emotions that keep draining you, right? Because your emotions stem from your thinking, right? And I want my thinking to be embedded in Christ, I want my thinking to be sound, all right? Um, So let me give you an example of these three dimensions of thought, okay? I'll give you an example. Let's look at a guy called John. Let's just say John. John grows up in a family where sporting achievement is celebrated and really, really important. His brother is a strong sportsman, right? Uh, But he's, he's not as strong. John is not as strong as his brother. So his core belief, this is John's core belief, is I'm useless and not worth much. Because he's comparing himself with his brother. So his core underlying belief is I'm useless and I'm not worth much. Okay. His immediate belief or assumption is if I make a sports team, then my parents will be proud of me. Okay. Then I will feel like I belong. Right. Uh, That's again a mindset he has and it's based on an assumption. All right. Then his automatic thought when he misses the hoop in basketball, for example, or uh, in cricket, he drops the ball, right? He will say something like, I will always be clumsy. What's the point of trying? He might not say it out, but he will think it. That's an example of an automatic thought. Just reflect a bit on your own life and ask yourself, what are my automatic thoughts when I mess up, when I make a mistake, when I fail an exam? Is it based on the spirit of truth who's guiding me into all truth? Do not entertain it if it's not from the truth, right? The devil is the father of all lies. And we end up uh, ruined in our lives because we entertain lies, okay? So what are those automatic thoughts that you're having? And then where do they come from? What are the assumptions that you are working with? The rules, the immediate beliefs that you have, right? As you're making sense of the world around you, right? That are causing those automatic thoughts. And then what are your fundamental core beliefs? This is so important to just think of life in these three phases of belief system. When you have right believing, you end up having right living, don't you? Okay. Um, So we see that uh, there are a lot of cognitive distortions that we have. In other words, lies that we believe. 
right? And I want to actually start unpacking what these are. And some of you who like to study a lot and so on, you can read up further on some of these things. You can engage with me around this. But there's what we call cognitive distortions. You can also call them perceptual distortions. A lot of people have been talking about racism lately, okay? Um, that stems from a perceptual distortion, okay? Where you haven't got an accurate view of reality, where you perceive things inaccurately, okay? Um, so it's important for me to really unpack this. In the book of Psalms uh, 51, uh, verse 6, okay? In the Berean Study Bible, it says, Surely you desire truth in the innermost being. You teach me wisdom in the innermost place. You see, God doesn't just want us to say the truth. He doesn't want us at surface level to just think the truth. He wants truth to be deeply embedded in our innermost being. And you see what happens is a lot of people don't traffic in truth. They don't function in truth. Their minds and their hearts are crooked. Their, their minds and their hearts are warped. And if you, if you continue to be friends with stinking thinking, if you continue to be friendly with lies, it can ruin you. It can ruin you. Let's make a decision today that we will embrace the truth and we'll embrace a sound mind. Guard your mind. Guard your mind. I love that scripture. You teach me wisdom in the innermost place. Hey, wisdom is not just something external. It happens in our inward parts. Okay, so I want to encourage you um, as we go through this process of looking at these cognitive distortions, we want to expose them. That's what we want to do today. We want to expose the cognitive distortions that we have believed. And I believe that as we expose them, we're disempowering them. And the first one I want to look at is called filtering. It's called filtering. And uh, it used to be known as selective abstraction. Okay. And what is this? It's our tendency to focus on one detail and take it out of context whilst ignoring other important parts of an experience. Okay. Uh, and a lot of people go through this, don't they? Okay. This mindset works both ways. So you can take one negative or positive aspect and then just focus on that particular thing. For example, if you can't find a job, then you jump to the conclusion that God is uh, terrible and my life is terrible because of that one aspect. So you've filtered out all the positive things that are taking place in your life and you're focusing on that one negative thing. Think about the emotional state you end up being in because of that one particular thing, okay? There's some people out there who are in exactly the same experience as you, but they're not filtering it. So they're able to say, although this aspect of my life is not working out well, I'm grateful for, and then they list a whole lot of other things. You see, that's why often if I'm counseling people, I actually say to them, I want you to um, make a statement in terms of a negative experience that you're going through. And then what I'd like you to do now is next to it, make a list of the counter arguments. In other words, uh, what's the positive in that negative? Okay. Uh, can you find the opportunity in the calamity? And it's such a powerful exercise to actually go through, all right? Um, so I'd encourage you to do that. Do not filter. Do not filter. It affects your relationships. It affects how you relate to God also, okay? Um, for example, someone could also think to themselves, this is a positive type of filter. 
because this guy, I'm talking about a high school girl, for example, uh, because this guy is captain of the rugby team, oh, he's the guy I'm meant to be with. And one day he'll be a wonderful husband just because of that one positive that he's captain of the rugby team. That doesn't make sense. It's irrational, but we are always doing that. We filter, right? A common type of filter is called the halo effect, you know, where there's a halo over someone. So you're interviewing someone and because they've got a nice accent and they dress well, you assume that they'll be good uh, in this particular vocation, this particular job. Okay, that's the halo effect. It's important that when we look at things, when we perceive things, especially as we're trying to grow as leaders and develop ourselves, we're able to look at things objectively instead of through filters. Okay, and the more conscious we are of some of these things, then the better we are at it. All right. Many people go into life making wrong decisions because of filtering. Watch out for that. We see it happening uh, to Jesus. You know, can anything good come from Nazareth? Right. So they filter out all the positives that could come out of Nazareth and they focus on the negative. It's a small town. It, it, it hasn't existed for that many centuries. Therefore, the Messiah cannot come from there. But what does scripture actually say? If you actually study scripture, uh, it's interesting because it's true that uh, Nazareth was a relatively new town, okay? It had only been there for a couple of centuries. So people like Isaiah, Jeremiah um, weren't conscious of it actually, all right? When they were prophesying, you know, because they didn't actually know of it, even Zechariah, right? Because it didn't yet exist at that particular time. So that's true factually, right? And they thought, oh, uh, Messiah can't come from there. But when you actually look in scripture, the prophecies concerning Jesus, the Messiah being a Nazarene, they would keep talking about a righteous branch will come out. And what does the word Nazareth mean? It's the same as branch, all right? So it's so powerful when you look at the Old Testament prophecies about where Jesus would come from and the fact that they didn't even know that that particular town would exist, but they were prophesying. Isn't God so powerful? The fact that they could not see the Messiah coming from that particular town blocked them to their salvation. It blocked them, right? And very often in life today, we are being blocked or we are blocking ourselves from positive experiences simply because of our filters. What are your filters doing to you? What are your filters doing to you? Who are they blocking out in your life? Okay, um, just think about it. Uh, sometimes you have a case where someone is really being abused by their husband and they just focus on the fact that, well, he's a good father, he's a good father, but they're being so abused by this person, they're almost being killed by the individual, okay? So again, they're focusing on the positive that they're blocking out a lot of things that have become life-threatening, okay? Could it be that because of filtering, you are cursing and ignoring the very people God has sent you, has sent to you? The very people God has sent to you as uh, destiny helpers, okay? One of the results of filtering, right, is that often we take something that's neutral or positive, right, and we do what we call disqualifying the positive, okay? So, for example, someone comes to you and they bless you financially with some money, and then you're thinking they're just doing that under obligation, you know? Oh, oh, they're just doing that to butter me up. They want something from me. Can you see you're disqualifying the positive? Someone is actually treating you well and being friendly. But because of your self-concept, you filter out anything positive around you. Okay. It has to be negative. So you go through life, 
looking through life with a dark filter. And this is why a lot of people end up depressed, right? Studies have been, do been done on depressed people. And a lot of them go through life viewing the world through a dark filter. So even the positive things that take place in their lives, they're saying, no, but that doesn't really count. Then you say to the person, but what about yesterday when they did this and this and this for you? And when your boss sang your praises in front of the CEO? No, that doesn't really count. Those are just words, okay? Uh, what are you doing? You're disqualifying the positives in your life, okay? We see it happening even in marriage, sadly. People who've come from backgrounds of abuse, Okay, uh, it was actually found that when their spouses would make love bids, in other words, do something positive for them, okay, make a positive gesture, they would only be conscious of it 50% of the time. The other times they wouldn't interpret it as something positive, okay, or they wouldn't even notice it. Because very often what happens in our lives is our minds, we've been mentally programmed, right, to more readily accept failure and rejection than success, okay. That means we don't have a sound mind. It's so important to have a sound mind if we want to be healthy and whole and have our identity completely rooted in Christ. Okay. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we destroy arguments in the ESV I'm reading from. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is so, so important. This is our warfare. A lot of it is in the minds. And that's what we are doing. Is there an argument that is raising itself above the knowledge of Christ? What is the knowledge of Christ saying about you? What does the knowledge of Christ speak concerning you? The knowledge of Christ is saying you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Is there an argument, a reasoning, unsound reasoning in your mind that is going against that, that is raising itself arrogantly up? raising it up itself arrogantly against the knowledge of Christ. What is that? What do we need to do with it? We need to take every thought captive so that it obeys Christ. And what I've seen with a lot of believers is we take some thoughts captive. But when it comes to these cognitive distortions, when it comes to filtering, for example, that I'm talking about now, when it comes to these perceptual distortions, we entertain them because we've embraced them as part of our personality. I'm telling you right now, we need to uproot stinking thinking. We need to uproot the lies that we've believed. I call them guardian lies, guardian lies, because they guard and they protect a stronghold, a mental stronghold. They guard and protect a mental stronghold, and we need to get rid of them. You know, when we talk about filtering, um, you see it a lot when it comes to racial prejudice, right? I've got a cousin who's very well-spoken, very intelligent. She's a medical doctor, and she had an experience where there was a lady an older lady um, who was interacting with her. And this older lady assumed that my cousin had been adopted, all right, because of how well-spoken she was, smart, uh, and how she carried herself, I guess, okay? She assumed she had been adopted. Now, when you start unpacking that, what's the filter that you're seeing there, all right? If someone has already got a mindset that black people are not like this, okay? They can't do this. They can't be this smart and so on, okay? When you have prejudice, what you do, you continue believing something even if you're experiencing something else, okay? So this woman didn't necessarily believe as an automatic thought that uh, black parents could raise up someone like this, okay? Um, 
So that, that stems from prejudice, doesn't it? Okay, so when we talk about racial prejudice, when we talk about stereotyping and so on, a lot of times we're really talking about filters. We're talking about filters. When your filter has been challenged by someone because of what you're actually seeing objectively, are you willing to change your mind concerning that? Where you begin to understand, mm, I was wrong. I was wrong. I used to think this way, but now I've seen evidence that shows me I must now think differently. Okay. So when we're talking about these distortions, uh, they're rooted in assumptions, uh, misbeliefs, I like to call them, or guardian lies. So the guardian lie around filtering is this. The only events that matter are failures. Okay. That's the assumption the person is making. Okay. I should measure myself by my errors. A lot of people measure themselves by their errors. That's the default that they have. Are you doing that? If you're doing that, you will ruin your life. The second distortion I want to talk about, mental distortion that I want to talk about, is dichotomous polarized thinking, where you've got black-white thinking, where it's either this or this, and there are no shades of gray in between. Be careful about that, okay? Uh, be careful about that. This is where there's a stronghold in your mind Okay, that's very either or. And the result of this very often, unfortunately, is that we end up making unfair judgments. Okay, we use absolutes, right? So we end up going either extreme where we say that person is just so amazing, like they're perfect, right? And then, oh, this person is terrible. They're horrible. You know, now most people are somewhere in between, aren't they? Okay, so again, let's watch our language so that we're trafficking in truth. I'm telling you, this is giving a doorway to the enemy because let's call it what it is. It's lies that we believe. It's lies that we carry. It's lies that we entertain. It's lies that we end up enjoying and using, right, for or against us. We need to watch out for that and we need to uproot them uh, from our lives. Very, very important. OK, this also causes a lot of perfectionism, doesn't it? OK, um, you see yourself as a failure because you didn't achieve 100 percent. OK, but you got 95 percent. But no, 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 no. If it's not 100 percent, then I failed. OK, it has to be either 100 percent or uh, or it's not good enough at all. OK, there's nothing in between. Life doesn't work that way. OK, it's an irrational way of living out our lives. OK, so do not try to be perfect. Rather focus not on perfectionism, but focus on mastery. So don't try to be the perfect bomb. OK, uh, because you'll always be feeling guilty because no one is perfect. Rather be the growing mom. That's what mastery is, where you're basically saying, you know what? I'm not quite the mom that I want to be, but I'm certainly not the mom that I used to be. So I'm growing. I'm developing as a mother. Okay. I'm a growing person. That's a healthier way of functioning. Right. And we see that also in scripture. We encourage to keep growing in the most holy faith, going from glory to glory. Okay. It's not about I'm either perfect or I shouldn't even try at all. Okay. Otherwise, you will always be disappointed. I'm telling you right now, a lot of our emotional state is because of these assumptions we have, these basic assumptions, these core beliefs and immediate beliefs, okay? Um, so this dynamic is also known as being absolutistic, okay? It's absolutistic dichotomous thinking where everything is about just absolutes, you know? He either finished his meal or didn't eat at all. There's nothing in between. Okay, watch out for that. So this is the tendency to place all our experiences in one of two opposite categories. Did you enjoy the holiday? There can never be nothing 
in between, you know? I didn't enjoy it or I enjoyed it. That's a terrible place or it's a really brilliant place. Some people, the way their minds work is like that, eh? If you trace their narrative, when you hear them speaking, it's either or. This is a bad church or it's a good church, okay? Most churches are growing churches, okay? Churches where people are trying to become whole in Christ Jesus, okay? Um, it's either flawless or, de or defective, immaculate or filthy, okay? Watch out for that. All or nothing thinking is the tendency to evaluate your personal qualities in extreme black or white categories, okay? And we do, we do this to ourselves, isn't it? All right. Um, we make judgments on other people. We make judgments on ourselves. I'm terrible. You know, I'm not good at maths. Like there's just good and bad at maths. No, it's a continuum. Let's speak the truth. Let's be accurate. Let's have a sound mind, sound reasoning. That's what that scripture is talking about. The spirit we've been given, right? The born again spirit is of power, is of love and sound reasoning self-controlled thinking. In other words, we're not just reacting to all sorts of things based on filters and perceptions and uh, polarized thinking, all right? Very, very important. And if, if, if the body of Christ takes hold of what I'm teaching right now, we will have many more free people and we will have happier people, all right? This is such a key to emotional wholeness, what I'm sharing with you right now. You see, as a result of this dichotomous, think, dichotomous thinking, what ends up happening is we speak in superlatives, okay? We speak in a lot of extremes. So you hear people, married people saying, he never takes me on dates, okay? Is that really true? Or he hasn't done so recently because he's been so busy, right? Uh, he hasn't done so recently because he underestimated how much you value it, okay? Uh, he always speaks to me in a horrible way. Always? Really? Are you trafficking in the truth? Does he always speak to you like that? Or he tends to speak to me like that when he's triggered because he's quite stressed out. Okay. Now, if the way you process information is that you only focus on the negative and you view the world through filters, you end up having that polarized way of thinking and you'll speak in superlatives. It will cause conflict because the person you're saying it to will always be defending themselves saying, always? Never? That's not true. What about the other day? They'll always be saying that, you see. So this way of thinking, the fruit of it, the Bible tells us that wisdom is judged by her fruit. The fruit of this way of thinking causes so much destruction in terms of conflict. Are we accurate in how we speak about other people? Are we accurate in how we speak about ourselves? Okay. Uh, and I want to encourage you with this scripture, Philippians 2 verses 4 to 15, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Why do we grumble? Why do we argue? I can tell you right now, often it's distorted thinking, often it's these cognitive distortions that I'm talking about, okay? So that you may become blameless and pure. So God wants us to become blameless and pure, but how do we get there? This is how we get there. Blameless and pure children of God without fault in what type of world? A warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. You see, we're living in a generation that's warped and crooked, okay, in its thinking, in how it's think it thinks, and the result is very be behavioral, all right? Um, and it's interesting, when you look at these two words, warped and crooked, it's the word coleus, which means curved and winding, okay? Uh, powerful, interesting word. 
and then crooked diastromus, uh, uh, which speaks of distorting, misinterpreting, and corrupting. And that's what happens. Very often, the stimulus of seeing a particular thing or hearing a particular thing, right, enters our brain. But the way we process the information, if we don't have a sound mind, we will distort what has actually been said. We will misinterpret what has actually been said and we will corrupt what has been said. And I believe that we need to go through life doing mental audits. What do I mean by mental audits? It's where you actually examine your thought life, where you say, how am I thinking? In the last 30 minutes, how have I been thinking? In the last three hours, how have I been thinking? And by the way, you, thinking isn't just about what your thoughts are. It's the system by which you process those thoughts, okay? So ask yourself, how am I processing my thoughts? How am I interpreting events before you let it take root in your life? I've seen people spending days worried about what someone else thinks because this person said that and that person said this. And I have to always say to people, you know what? You need to understand what that word means from that person's perspective because it's affecting you because you're interpreting it from your vantage point. So again, that's something that we need to always look into. So the assumption that a lot of people make behind this dichotomous thinking is that everything is either one extreme or the other. There are no shades of gray. Everything is either one extreme or the other. There are no shades of gray. Watch out for that. The next cognitive distortion that I want to examine is overgeneralization. And this is so common, isn't it? It's so, so common, but it's not based on truth. Okay. Um, so this is the belief that because one thing happened to you once, then it will occur over and over again. Because one thing happened to you once, then it will occur over and over again. Okay. I remember counseling a particular person. It was a coaching session actually in one of the organizations I was dealing with. And uh, this person said, Paul, I need help. I've got trust issues. I don't trust people easily. Then I asked this individual more than two questions deep. It's always good to do that. Okay. And I kind of got their life story. And I said to this person, can you see what's happened to you? Because of what two people did to you at high school, now the 200 people that you know, you don't trust anymore. Okay. That's an example of overgeneralization, right? And sadly, people are always doing it. People are always doing it. So someone has a business and they hire someone from a particular ethnic group and they have one experience with this individual. And what do they do? They overgeneralize and they say people from this particular language group or this particular tribe, they are like this, right? You've just made an unfair judgment and an unrighteous judgment concerning someone else. And with the same measure that you judge, you will be judged. So we need to be careful of this, right? You have an experience with your spouse, for example, and what does it result in? Women, they are like this. You know what women are like. Often I'll speak to people and I hear them saying that, and they're really talking about their wife, but somehow it's generalized, overgeneralized to women, like all women are like that, okay? Maybe women are like that in reaction to how they've been treated by the particular man, right? Uh, this is why when someone gets turned down on a date, for example, right, they can feel so rejected because their automatic thought is unhealthy, right, based on an assumption. They basically will be thinking, I'll be lonely and miserable for the rest of my life just because they've been dumped by one person. 
Watch out for stinking thinking. Watch out for stinking thinking. When you overgeneralize, especially when it's being done negatively, it means you've actually got faith for those negative things. That's, you're literally expecting the negative. That's, that's what you're believing for, okay? And you're saying, I'm just being realistic. This is how life works, okay? So what happens is our minds very often have been programmed to more readily accept failure and rejection than success, okay? So you come to a general conclusion based on a single event. What are the events that have taken place in your life? And what is the belief system that has come from that? Watch out, watch out. You see, the stronghold of rejection in your mind has translated different as negative instead of positive. All right, let me give you an example. I remember I was coaching an individual. It was in one of the banks some years ago. And uh, this person had done a kind of personality test. And uh, she said to me, Paul, I'm just really concerned because I've just moved into this new team. And in the circle, everyone else is on this one side and I'm by myself on this side. You know, I'm just really concerned. Right. Um, and then I said to this person that I was coaching, I said, just check with your boss concerning this, because maybe that's why they hired you. Maybe the fact that you're different is actually a positive thing. And a couple of weeks later, when we had the next session, she confirmed that. And she said, yes, it's true. They hired me because I'm actually different. OK. And that's what they wanted. Now, you see, some of us have got this as an assumption in our lives. I don't fit in negative. No. Sometimes if you're different, it actually means you're unique, right? And you can add value where other people can't add value, right? So how are you interpreting your life? And that's why I always say, are you turning your mess into a message? Are you turning your, your tragedy into a triumph, okay? Uh, how do you view things? How do you view things? I remember back in the 90s, we were part of a particular church when we were at university. And there was a situation where... Um, one of the black guys got quite bitter and quite offended, all right, because uh, there was just this dynamic where it looked like the black people were packing away things that the musicians had been using. So carrying around the speakers to the particular venue that we were using and so on. They were part of that team. Uh, and the, the, a lot of the white people were playing musical instruments and so on. And I remember this guy, and I remember this is back in the mid-90s, and I remember this guy being so offended, saying, it's the darkies, have you noticed? It's just the darkies who do this. Now, the reality is that the so-called darkies were not playing musical instruments. It was a bit later on when a guy came along who could play the guitar, okay? It was mainly the white guys. And a natural thing in that church was that the way you... Um, sort of grew, went up the ranks and was through serving. And that was one of the places to start. They needed strong men who were going to lift things and carry things and so on, right? But through his filter, right, based on prior learning, based on things he had seen, he got offended. And I still remember he then got to a place where he ended up backsliding. I'm not too sure if he's bounced back spiritually yet, uh, but that's what happened. Be careful of bitterness. And bitterness often comes when we overgeneralize and we make unrighteous judgments. Okay. Um, a common type of generalization is transference. It's where you have an experience when you are young, maybe an experience with your father, right? Where you're told children must be seen, not heard. Okay. Uh, don't just speak up when your father is speaking. All right. And then what you do is you transfer that onto your primary relationship now with an authority figure. So you're sitting on that manco, you're sitting on that exco in the workplace. And what happens? 
Children must be seen, not heard. I can't speak up. I'll only speak when I'm spoken to. I see people practicing this type of transference, okay? That's an overgeneralization. You can't just take your experience that you had in one relationship and now superimpose it onto everyone. When I counsel couples today, you know, they you see spouses reacting to each other and you realize that the one party is actually trying to say, I'm not like your critical dominant father. When I say to you, this is my preference, I literally mean this is my preference. I do not mean you're a bad wife and you are nasty and I'm about to shout at you and scream at you and you must be afraid of me. Okay. So again, watch out for that. So transference is a biggie. Transference describes a situation where the feelings, desires and expectations of one person are redirected and applied to another person, okay? That's why sometimes when you're in the working world, you have to say to someone, I'm not like your former boss, okay? Let's close the past and just relate to me. If you overcome these types of things, friends, it takes you to another level of relational maturity. So what's the assumption? What's the belief or misbelief and guardian lie around overgeneralization? It's this. If it's true in one case, then it applies to any case which is slightly similar. If it's true in one case, then it applies to any case which is slightly similar, right? That's why I keep saying, say to people, your story doesn't have to be my story. Ever been in that situation where you go and you start a new job? And you're confident, you're whole as a person, you know who you are in Christ. You want to interact directly with authority figures because you know, show me your friends, I'll show you your future, right? You want to climb the corporate ladder the right way. And then what do people begin to say to you? Oh, you don't go into that office. Oh, they won't like you. Oh, oh, don't trust that individual over there. Sometimes you have to say to them, your story doesn't have to be my story. The favor on my life is not the same as the favor on your life, okay? The doors that God has uh, wanted to open in my life and is about to open them. So don't prophesy doom based on your past experiences. Just because it happened to you doesn't mean it will happen to me, okay? So, so important, okay? I, I, I just... Think if we grasp some of these principles, we will go to another level. Sometimes this affects us relationally when we apply it to other people. We become the mind reader or the fortune teller, okay, uh, in a lot of situations. And I'm talking here about jumping to conclusions. This is the next one, jumping to conclusions. We often do this, don't we? Okay, where someone says something and we assume we know them, we assume we understand them and we jump to conclusions instead of hearing them out. Okay, that becomes a problem and people around us end up thinking you are not being a good listener. I'm not the same person I was three weeks ago or three months ago. Just hear me out. Okay, so jumping to conclusions is a cognitive distortion that is to do with assuming without establishing the facts. Okay, we often think we know we know exactly how someone is thinking. Sometimes when I'm listening to someone speak, I've said to them before, um, okay, so what I'm hearing you say is A, B, C, D. And I remember one time someone said to me, no, it's actually not that. That's not what I'm saying, (laughs) okay? So again, we must watch out for that, okay? It's called arbitrary inference, arbitrary inference. This is where you are processing 
and forming an interpretation of a situation, an event, or an experience where there's no factual evidence to support the conclusion and where the conclusion is contrary to the evidence, okay? So let's say there's a guy called Simpiwe and he's walking down the street thinking, um, everyone can see that I'm a useless fool. Okay, that's the thought he's having. And many of us have those types of thoughts. Everyone can see that I'm a useless fool. Question, how does everyone know your situation? They're probably thinking about their own things anyway. What evidence do you have that people are thinking about this particular thing, right? It's an arbitrary inference because um, you don't actually know what everyone else is thinking, okay? And it's unlikely that people are thinking all these things because they're worried about other things. Okay, so sometimes we make ourselves the central actor in the entire universe, you know, where every single thing about someone else's behavior is because of us. We must have caused it. We're the ones, right? So don't jump to conclusions about other people when you don't actually have the facts. Just be very careful about that because that's when the enemy has a field day with you and he just sows thoughts into you this is what they think this is what they think then you wonder why am i feeling so heavy today why am i feeling so gloomy why am i feeling so sad okay it's because of those thoughts that you might be having okay in psalm 32 verse 2 it says blessed is the one whose sin the lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit one of the worst kinds of deceit is self-deception self-deception you see we we say stories to ourselves we put pepper peri peri we do all sorts of things and we embellish it in our minds and we get into unnecessary conflict with people okay blessed is the one whose sin the lord does not count against them and in whose spirit there is no deceit you see deceit is not just a thing of your tongue it's also a thing of your spirit and sometimes before you've even said it out, you are thinking it, you're harboring it in, in your heart and it's actually defiling you, okay? So again, watch out for that. Um, sometimes we jump to conclusions based on uh, uh, overgeneralizations that we've already got about certain people and also the filters that I mentioned earlier on. Let me give you an example. You know, I shared with you earlier on about, you know, nothing good comes from Nazareth. Let's look, at, let, let's look at the scripture, okay? John 1, 43 to 51. I want to unlock this passage a little bit, okay? The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. This was the response from Nathaniel. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? So can you see what's happening? His destiny could potentially have been blocked because of this filter, because he jumped to conclusions that the Messiah cannot come from Nazareth, right? Can you see the prejudice that was already there, right? How many people have you blocked out of your life because they're from a small town and you've got a bias against small town people, all right? Just think about it. Or because they're from a particular ethnic group or because they're a particular gender. And the sad thing is we do this every week, every day, and we're not even conscious of it. That's how the enemy has deceived us, where God is literally answering our prayers. They were expecting the Messiah, 
but so many people didn't experience the benefit of following the Messiah because of the prejudgment they had made. That was prejudice, prejudgment, prejudicium, right? Where you judge prematurely, okay? You make a judgment uh, prematurely, right? Uh, but look at the change that actually happens in Nathaniel, okay? I just think it's interesting, okay? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. Philip was wise. It's like, come and see for yourself before you make a judgment, okay? Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Okay, then Nathaniel declared. Now look what he says. Look at the quick switch. Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Right? Um, so he made this U-turn, Nathaniel. And with many of our lives, we make these U-turns where we've made judgments, we've jumped to conclusions, and then we see the evidence afterwards and we're like embarrassed and we're thinking, oh, you know what, I had judged this person unfairly. Are there people in your life where you've judged them unfairly? You don't really know the facts, but you tend to jump to conclusions. Let me tell you something. When you jump to conclusions, what's actually happening is it's a form of mental laziness, mental laziness. You're taking a mental shortcut. You're not willing to process the facts objectively, but you're rushing to make a particular conclusion. Okay. Um, what I find interesting is in Zechariah 3 verses 8 to 10, some of you will find this fascinating. That's why I'm including it. Look what Jesus says. Remember, he's just said to Nathaniel, he's just said to Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree. Okay. Look what the word of God says here. It says, listen, high priest Joshua, Yeshua. All right. Uh, you and your associates seated before you, who are Men, symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. Remember I shared with you earlier on that Nazareth, Nazarene, literally means branch. Okay, the branch. See the stone I've set in front of Joshua, Yeshua. Okay, that's the same word as Jesus, right? God saves. There are seven eyes on that one stone. And I'll engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty. And I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. Now, look at what's just happened with Philip and Nathaniel. And watch this. This is, this is Zechariah prophesying. Verse 10. In that day, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. Can you see the link between this scripture and what we've just read concerning Nathaniel, right? And so Nathaniel sees all this evidence or gets to understand it, right? And he literally changes his mind. He's impacted by the prophetic knowledge of Jesus, impacted in his life. Okay. What's the assumption? What's the misbelief? What's the guardian lie behind jumping to conclusions? If it has been true in the past, then it's always going to be true. Okay. Then we jump to conclusions. If you were like this last year, then you're going to be like this this year, okay? Then we jump to conclusions. The next cognitive distortion that I want to talk about is catastrophizing, catastrophizing, 
You know, um, this is so sad, but it happens a lot and it's so prevalent in our society today. Okay, it's where you exaggerate the importance of a single event. You exaggerate the importance of a single event. Okay, so uh, for example, uh, your little baby vomits on your shirt and you literally have visions of being at work where your boss sees that your shirt has been vomited on by this child and your boss is reacting and firing you on the spot, okay? You've just exaggerated a situation. You haven't got a sound mind with regards to that. Your mind is not self-controlled, okay? You haven't controlled your mind. That's why it talks about self-control in some translations. Some translations say a sound mind, okay? There's no sound reasoning because you're exaggerating the impact of a particular event. Sometimes we also do this exaggeration positively where we say, if this leader was just shot and killed or eliminated or resigns, then our nation will be sorted out, you know? I remember in Zimbabwe, people would be saying like, oh, if Robert Mugabe just resigns, or if Robert Mugabe, if someone just kills him, then we'll be fine. What happened when he was eliminated, when he was removed, right? Uh, things have gone arguably worse, okay? Because people don't understand that um, life events often happen because of systemic issues, Okay, it doesn't always boil down to just one person. Sometimes it's systemic issues that are actually quite complex. So uh, be careful of exaggerating certain things and catastrophizing happens when we exaggerate things that are negative. Okay, and their impact on us. Okay, it's often based on lies. For example, people want to have three children, right? And then they make a decision to only have two because they just watch the news and uh, they see that school fees uh, are going up by 10%. Now, who actually said that you won't be able to afford that 10%? In fact, by the time that third child is at school, your earning capacity was probably going to be uh, quite a bit more than that 10%, right? But someone hears this. And immediately they catastrophize it and they say, children are expensive, kids are expensive, we can't have another child. Watch out for that because it informs your decision making. Okay. Now the Bible says that you will be led, you will be led by the Spirit of God, right? You'll be led by the Spirit of God, not by your fears. Not by your fears. We must not be led by our fears. Bible says, I will go, you'll go out with joy. You'll be led forth with peace. Are you being led forth with peace? Sometimes when people are anxious and fearful, you can trace it to something they've just seen in the media. You can trace it to something they've just read. You can trace it to a conversation or a phone call that they've just had, okay? What are you listening to? And what story are you telling yourself about that particular thing? I've said this many times that we're not destroyed by our experiences. We're destroyed by the story we tell ourselves of our experience, okay? Um, watch out for that. Watch out for that, okay? Catastrophizing, catastrophizing happens a lot. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says, there is no fear in love. There's no fear in love. So we know you are fully loved and perfectly loved by God. There's no fear. There's no anxiety. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So if you struggle with fear, if you struggle with anxiety, if I'm to minister to you, I need to minister love right? Because love drives out fear. If you tend to catastrophize things mentally, I need to minister the love of God to you. 
because love drives out fear. And the person who's still fearful has not been perfected in love. Anything that you are afraid of in this life, maybe you're continuously afraid that you'll be burgled, continuously afraid that you'll be abducted, okay? Begin to meditate on the relentless love of Jesus for you in that particular situation, okay? So, so important, right? I remember some of this catastrophizing going on. Um, uh, it was in about 2009, I think it was, somewhere there. And I remember it was just before Jacob Zuma uh, became president and people were thinking, Zuma, Zuma, we're dead in Becky, right? And I remember a particular person, one of my clients, coming to me and saying, Paul, what's your take on this? We love this country. But people in our group, you know, our ethnic group, our background and so on, they're literally saying, if Zuma gets into power, we're leaving the country. Okay, that's a form of catastrophizing because you're looking at someone and you're making all sorts of assumptions about every aspect of life and jumping to the conclusion that I cannot be in this country because so-and-so is in power. Okay. And then sometimes you have someone else who seems a milder version, right? Uh, and they could be, be worse than someone who uh, doesn't come across like that. So again, just be careful. I'm not saying people can't make certain decisions. I'm not saying certain leaders are not a, a symbol of something else. I'm not saying that. But the point I'm making is, is God leading you in that direction? I remember around that time, uh, there was a whole concept of to stay or not to stay, you know? Uh, it's important to learn biblical ways of making decisions, never by fear, never by fear. All right. Uh, and, and sadly, it's often to do with perception, isn't it? OK, you perceive someone to be a safer leader because of this is because this is how they look and because this is how they speak and because this is how intelligent they sound and so on. But it's not always um, it's not always the case. OK. So perfect love drives out fear. So the assumption behind catastrophizing is that the worst thing always happens. So rather believe it will happen so that you're prepared for it. Okay, let's prepare for the worst. The worst thing is going to happen. Let's actually have faith for the worst. Okay, so that we're not disappointed. That's why you hear a lot of people saying, Paul, I don't hope anymore. Right. Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick, right? The Bible says, Paul, you know what? I don't hope anymore. I just don't hope because I don't want to be disappointed. Paul, I'm not setting goals anymore. You know, it's a self-protective mechanism that we've got to protect ourselves from disaster. But sometimes it stems from an automatic thought. It's not clearly thought out. An automatic thought is the worst thing is going to take place. Then we're so stressed out about it. And if other people around us aren't as stressed as us, we want to get them on board, you know. Come on, why aren't you worried? No, they're full of peace. They're full of peace. Just because something is a catastrophe for you doesn't mean it is that for other people. Allow them to have peace. They don't have to be stressed out just because you're stressed out, okay? The next cognitive distortion that I want to look at is personalization. And this is so common, isn't it? We like to personalize a lot of things that we go through, okay? So uh, one aspect of personalizing things is you blame yourselves for things outside of your control, okay? So you focus so much on yourself that if anything goes wrong, you think it's your fault. It happens with people who are high on responsibility, okay? They're high on responsibility. You can't even eat a burger 
when you're there by the traffic lights, you know, driving because you see a beggar, you, you can't eat your own bur burger because you literally feel guilty about it. So you take responsibility. Now, it's good being a responsible person, but when you overuse that strength, okay, you become this person who's feeling guilty about everything around you. You feel it's your fault and it's your responsibility to solve. And sometimes the root of it is actually pride because you start playing God. You know what I'm talking about? You start playing God. Sometimes someone else is actually going through a process that God is taking them through. Sometimes someone else has been stripped off certain things of their in their lives because their identity was in those particular things, okay? And you're trying to rescue everyone out of certain situations, okay? Watch out for that. Sometimes it works the other way around, okay? Where you, um, you're actually believing that other people's behavior is based on how they see you. So if someone is all quiet and grumpy, instead of going to the person and saying, what's wrong, what's happened? Your default is, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? It's my fault, okay? Uh, maybe you uh, haven't been invited to a particular function, Okay, then you make assumptions, you personalize it. They don't like me. When in actual fact, the reason they didn't invite you to that function was they thought you were actually too busy. They thought you were really busy and they feel inferior to you and they don't want to disturb your busy schedule with their unimportant things. Okay, that's the mindset that often happens, but you feel rejected and you interpret it only through that particular lens, okay? This is the mindset where you feel like the world has got it in for me. You know, there's something just working against me. No, you are the one who missed the bus, you know? When we're speaking in our local languages, right? Like in Shona, my home language, we say, Bazi. No, you missed the bus as opposed to the bus left me, okay? You were late for the bus. You were supposed to arrive at eight o'clock. In fact, before eight, okay? You arrived at five past eight, okay? You didn't check your watch. Now the bus leaves you and you're saying to yourself, oh, I think there's just something working against me. You know, nothing is lining up. No, take responsibility. So don't personalize things where you think the whole world has got this agenda against you. Um, I sometimes term it the persecutory superego. It's an interesting psychological term. It's where you feel everyone is against you. You know, you have a bad performance review at work and then you, you quickly have that automatic thought. I know they'll tell everyone. I know that my boss will tell everyone. Then the following day, the CEO passes you by. They don't greet you. And you're like, you see, I knew it. I knew it. You see, when you've got these cognitive distortions, right? Often they're very negative. And when you're looking for negative evidence, you will find it. You will find it. You will find it. Even from people who've got the best of intentions. Okay. So don't always go through life thinking the whole world is against you. How do I relate to someone who believes that, who believes the whole world is against them, including you, Paul? Paul, the whole world is against me, including you, Paul, right? I'm trying to be your friend, but you think I'm against you when I'm actually for you. How do we relate? How do we connect, okay? Um, it's so sad because sometimes someone could be giving you constructive feedback, but then you're sensitive about it because you've personalized it. And unfortunately, you end up not growing. Because when they give you that feedback, you're saying, it's because I'm a female. It's because I'm black. You see, I told you guys, it's because I'm black. No, learn the skills the other person has. How do they connect with those other individuals, right? So that they get the buy-in from that other person, okay? It's not always because of your skin color. It's not always because of your age, okay? Get feedback, learn, and grow, okay? They don't like me, okay? 
Just watch out for this. Let's have a look at how David dealt with these types of emotions because there are times when he actually seemed to be personalizing things, but just look at how, just look how he would quickly switch from that. In the book of Psalms, chapter 31, verse 10, he says, and I'm going to read from 10 to 21, says, my life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. That sounds like the persecutory super ego, right? Those who see me on the street flee from me. I'm forgotten as though I were dead. I've become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But look how he switches. But I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, Lord, for I have cried out to you. But let the wicked be put to shame and be silent in the realm of the dead. Let their lying lips be silenced, for the pride, for with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. How abundant are the good things. Can you see he's now focusing on God's goodness. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all, on those who take refuge in you. You'd never think those phrases would go hand in hand with what he's just been saying beforehand. Hey? In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. I was in a city under siege, but God still showed me the wonders of his love. I want to encourage you with that because you see the assumption and the misbelief and the guardian lie between this particular uh, cognitive distortion is I'm responsible for all the bad things around me, all the failures around me, everything that happens to me, right? And those around me, it's my fault. And you feel guilty and the result of it is self-loathing. But look what David did. He has all these negative experiences happening around him, but he was quick to turn to the Lord and say, you actually store up good things for the righteous. Isn't that so powerful? I want to leave it there. We'll continue next week with other cognitive distortions, but I want to encourage you to keep seeking the Lord and to keep um, uh, having these mental audits in your life where you look at the system you're using the system you're using to process information around you. Are you dabbling with lies or are you embracing the truth in your inward part? So, so important. Father, we come to you and we ask for your help. We ask for your assistance because we know that our hearts, Lord, can often be so self-deceived. We pray, Lord, that we may have truth in our inward parts, Lord, wisdom in our innermost being. Father, we ask that you would displace the lies that we've believed, the, the lies and the falsehood that we've embraced. You would displace it, Lord God, with the truth of your word. That, Lord, we would have core beliefs that are aligned with your word. That we would have assumptions about life and rules 
that are empowering and useful, not debilitating. And that, Father, our automatic thoughts would reflect the truth from the Holy Spirit. We pray for your help, Lord, with regards to this. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I want to encourage you as you are counseling people to challenge them around the stinking thinking that we're talking about, around these unhealthy patterns of thinking, and encourage them to displace them with the truth that comes from God. Next week, we'll go deeper and deeper into these cognitive distortions. There are many of them I want to cover with you, and I trust that it will bring about a mighty deliverance. God bless you.